Every single player who's come to Michigan State since 2007 has a ring on their finger. I'm going to be a coach here for a long time. It's not over. It's just starting. But just remember, pride comes before the fall. So you might as well just come out and say what you're, what's your feeling at some point in time, because you know I can only be diplomatic for so long. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Thursday, September 19th, 2019. I am your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Locked on Spartans. Thanks to everyone who has gotten over their sorrows and stuck with the show. I've had a couple people reach out to me on Twitter and just say, I can't even listen this week because I'm just so mad about what happened against uh, Arizona State. And if you're one of those people uh, and you're just deciding, you know what, I'm going to tune back in, just give this a shot. I appreciate you. Uh, I've been encouraging everyone to try to just, you know, get back into the swing of things. Let's get over this and move on and turn the page towards Northwestern, uh, which is what we're going to do today. Uh, I mentioned yesterday at the end of the show, I wanted to talk about the idea of, you know, the beginning of the end, so to speak, for Mark D'Antonio. So I do want to do that here off the jump. Uh, but that after that, we're going to talk about Northwestern. Um, some key players, some key stats to know about them, kind of where they rank uh, in different things, how their season has gone thus far. And then we'll, you know, kind of do a full preview tomorrow. Today's kind of primer day on Northwestern. I had the pleasure of watching their game against Stanford and UNLV and if you thought it was frustrating to watch Michigan State football, you have not seen anything yet. But we will get to that. Uh, first, rate, review, subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. It's the easiest way to get these shows to your phone every single day. They go up 5 a.m. Eastern time. If you subscribe, they'll show up when you get up for work or whatever you're doing during the week. Class, if you're still in school, on your commute. Um, you know, try to get them out every single morning for you, half an hour shows to uh, get you started on the right foot with some Michigan State sports. I've also got a piece up at Spartans Wire. It went up yesterday, spartanswire.usatoday.com. I was actually working on a different piece, uh, and I just started diving into sort of the statistical anomaly that was the Michigan State-Arizona State game. Uh, and it really just, uh, it, I, I called it a statistical anomaly of epic proportions because it really is. Um, there are some crazy things that kind of don't align with what that final score was, what the final result was. And I wrote about that at spartanswire.usatoday.com. And I think if you read it, you'll be really frustrated about <laughs> what happened last weekend. Uh, but you'll be, if you're someone who's not optimistic about the team moving forward, I think that'll help change some of your views about the offense and just kind of give you a factual look at what is really going on, what the offense actually is and can be. So that's up spartanswire.usatoday.com. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about Mark D'Antonio. Okay, so I think the stock on Mark D'Antonio within Michigan State circles is about as low as it's ever been, certainly as low as it's been since maybe, I don't know, the beginning of the tenure when 
you know, the, it's not going great. It's, you know, I guess coming off John L. Smith, it's tough to be like, yeah, this guy needs to go. It's not as good as like coming off John L. Smith. I think he had a pretty good leash is how I'll say it to start. And so once things got rolling, you know, some hiccups before that losing to central, right? That's something that's not great. But the year after that, or the year before that, I believe they were competing for the big 10. And then the year or two years after that, the year after that, I get my years mixed up. They split the big 10 for his first uh, big 10 championship. And you know, the program was on its way. And so I think the stock in him among the fan base is as low as it's been his entire tenure. I've had conversations with people uh, just suggesting that he should retire. I've heard plenty of people uh, on the radio uh, in different columns suggest that this could be the beginning of the end, that he should be thinking about retiring. I've heard people say no matter what happens this year, he should retire at the end of the year, even if they rebound and have a really good season, that it is time for a change. Um, and I think the last three years are really starting to weigh on people. And I don't blame anyone for having that mindset. I think the people who are saying that have done a decent job making sure like, hey, I'm very appreciative of what has happened here and where he brought the program. But it's just gotten kind of stale. And I think, you know, I'll I'll get to my opinion on this in a second, but I think this is just something that naturally happens in college football. Just think of like, I don't know, we don't have to go that far back and we can just r- rattle off a handful of names where where it just kind of happened. Like Mac Brown at Texas, it just got stale. They got tired of him. To a lesser extent, Bo Pelini at Nebraska, Bowden down at Florida State. They just like a great, like you could never fire someone like Bobby Bowden and then it's just like you, you kind of find a way to push him out the door. Uh, Lloyd Carr is one for sure. Um, you know, I guess Jim Trestle's a little bit different because there was some scandal there and they were still playing at a decently high clip. Um, Snyder over at Kansas State, although they have, they they forced him out kind of, they kind of pushed him out and then it didn't go well and they brought him right back. Like legendary coaches who have been with programs for a long time and still weren't anything near bottoming out. You know, Texas was just not reaching the heights that they had once reached. They win a national championship, they're runners-up a couple later, and then they're winning eight games, nine games, not doing well, having embarrassing losses occasionally, and then it's just like, all right, Mac Brown, you got to go. And that ha- we saw that happen with Lloyd Carr at Michigan. You win a national championship, you're really close uh, one year, and then the next year you lose to Appalachian State and the opener, and it's time to go. It's just, it's something that naturally happens with college football. Legendary, historic coaches kind of getting pushed out. And those are all just relatively recent examples. I'm sure if I sat on it for a little bit longer, uh, I could think of a few more. And that is something that could very well happen with Mark D'Antonio. I'm not there yet. I don't think the D'Antonio tenure is ending, but it's getting harder and harder to see it extend five more years. Like even, you know, maybe last year you started to get a sense of it. But like in 2017, if you would have asked me, I'd be like, yeah, he's, he'll be here for five more years. Like Mark D'Antonio, save for something extreme, something totally unforeseen, is not going to get fired for Michigan State. He'll never get fired for Michigan State. He's got, you know, he might get forced out in a, you know, retiring situation. 
but he'll never be like, yep, we're firing Mark D'Antonio. That's just not going to happen. It's going to be, at worst, kind of a mutual decision, and I think any departure by him is going to be something that he is wanting to do. I don't think he'll be forced out uh, unless you know it gets really bad. And if it gets really bad, I would think he would be ready to sort of pack pack it in, you know, be happy with the the whatever it ends up being, the 13, 15 year uh, run that they put together and be on his way. And, you know, I'm not at the point where I think he needs to retire at the end of this season, or I think he needs to retire in the next couple of years. I am slightly concerned about the negative recruiting that is coming with this idea, because this is something that I've heard is already being used in negative recruiting is something that is uh, a talking point uh, amongst other coaches that they feel D'Antonio's tenure could be coming to an end. I think it was Bruce Feldman or somebody who's a national writer uh, was doing a preseason mailbag and somebody it was like, maybe it was a bold prediction thing. And one of the things that he wrote was someone told him that they thought this would be Mark D'Antonio's last season, that he would retire at the end of the season. Uh, Stuart Mandel, uh, college, I don't know if he's the chief editor, at, from The Athletic, big boss at The Athletic, um, answered a mailbag question about, is this the beginning of the end for D'Antonio? So it's something that is now being talked about much more uh, than you would have imagined even going back a few years, especially going back to the playoff. And I'm not there yet. Um, I've been very, very frustrated at times. This last offseason was incredibly frustrating. Uh, the decision to reshuffle the deck chairs and just how everything has sort of played out the last couple of years. But now that we're here, right, now that it's kind of a sunk cost, this is the staff that is in place. This is the team that they have. I'm not, you know, pulling the plug on the entire thing just yet. If they continue to be poorly coached, if they continue to be undisciplined, if they continue to sort of take steps back on offense, whereas, you know, we've seen some steps forward this year, we've seen some very frustrating things. If they start reverting to past things, taking steps back and just getting in their own way, doing the the very frustrating things that we have seen kind of in the past few years, then I will eventually get to that point this season. It's not out of the realm of possibility uh, in my eyes that in six weeks, if you asked me this question, I'd be like, yeah, it was a great run, um, but I think it's time for this thing to end. And I, I going back two years, I wouldn't have thought that was really in the cards, but now I think it's at least in the cards. It's at least a discussion point that you can't just brush off as ludicrous. Like, yeah, you have to take into account the success, and that's why the leash is incredibly long, and it should be long. They've earned it, Um, but it's not something that can't be shortened, especially this season. I've talked about how this is a real make-or-break season because the recruiting isn't great right now. If they go 7-6, and 6-6, and 6-7, whatever, something annoying, frustrating, middling this season with another top three defense, that's going to not bode well for recruiting. That's going to not bode well for the fan base. And as much as you would think a decision like this to replace, to get rid of an all-time historic coach, one of the greatest coaches in the program's history, 
would be purely administrative, purely, I, don't, I guess, a logical, appropriate decision. You know, the fan base matters in this. The perception around the program matters. If you guys are collectively, if we're all collectively out on D'Antonio, that's going to force some administration's hands. Like, they are aware if they're not selling tickets, if nobody wants to see these teams, if everyone is checking out on the football program, that could be something that spurs a change. And it's just, it sucks that we're here. But I again, I think it's something that just naturally happens in college football. And when you're at a place going into your 13th season, and the last three seasons are some of the most frustrating seasons, or I guess two of the last three, potentially three of the last four, are some of the most frustrating seasons. You know, you kind of chew up some of that goodwill you built up pretty quickly, and things can head south sooner than you would have imagined. And again, I'm not there yet, but it is within the realm of possibility that I'm there in just a few weeks, honestly. If the next few weeks are replicas of that Arizona State game, and I don't think they will be, but if they are, if Michigan State is two and three or even three and two, gets blown up by Ohio State and is not competitive with some of the other big games on their schedule, then yeah, I think those whispers are gonna start turning into roars that are gonna be hard for the administration to ignore. All right, in a minute here, we'll dive into Northwestern. Man, that was a sucky first segment, huh? Just like somber, like ugh. But I think it's something that uh kind of needed to be said and it is something that is a point of discussion among a lot of fans, even the ones that are optimistic and, and rational and, you know, really have a good grasp of what is going on. You know, I think it's it's something that's very real and could be, it could be squashed in a few games, could be completely squashed for most people in a few games, or it, be, could, or it could become just a huge thing in a few games. It's a really interesting game. This is a huge game for Mark D'Antonio and for Michigan State. Okay, in a minute, we'll talk about Northwestern. Um, could be just what the doctor ordered for Michigan State. So we'll do that here in a second after a quick couple commercials. Okay, so I think this is a really prime bounce back spot for Michigan State. Uh, if you listen to Tuesday's show, Sheehan and I talked about the indications we're getting from Las Vegas, how public perception is kind of low on Michigan State, and yet they open at a six and a half, seven point favorite. A uh, bunch of public bets. The pet, I checked earlier uh, yesterday, it was 65% of the bets were on Northwestern. So that's a 30% margin. That's pretty large. And yet the line was kind of continuing to rise uh, up to nine and a half. And so that is just reinforcing this belief that I have that this is a prime bounce back spot for Michigan State. And I think it's there's a couple reasons to talk about why. I think Michigan State's offense is a little bit underrated right now, understandably, because they just scored seven points, and everyone knows how they finished last season. Everyone knows what they did against Tulsa. It's really easy to sweep the entire Western Michigan game under the rug and act like it was a fluke, especially if you're a national person, didn't watch it, didn't see what they were doing, haven't been paying a ton of attention, but are just like, wow, Michigan State has scored one touchdown against Arizona State. They scored one touchdown against Tulsa. They scored one touchdown against Oregon, two against Rutgers. They didn't score against Nebraska and, you know, one against Michigan. I don't think they scored a touchdown against Ohio State. It's just, it's really easy to sort of pile on there, understandably. Um, I don't think nationally people have done a good job separating this team from last year's team. 
I think for some reasons that's okay, but I think it's mostly unfair just because of the injury situation. The quarterback is healthy. The quarterback is better. Uh, the scheme is a little different, significantly different. And so public perception is pretty low. And yet the people who are betting big money, the professional bettors, are loading up on Michigan State this week. Although we'll see kind of how that goes towards game time if that line comes crashing down. But at least early, uh, a lot of, you know, sharps, gambling sharps are on Michigan State. And so that sort of reinforced the belief that I have. And, you know, I think Michigan State, like I said, is being underrated. And I also think Northwestern, and this might be the most important part, I don't think Northwestern's very good. <laughs> um, their offense is in a rough spot right now. Uh, there was, I think, some optimism for them going into the season. Uh, they've got Isaiah Bowser, who's a good back, uh, although he's banged up. He didn't play their last game. He got hurt against Stanford. And so we'll see. He was back to practice this week, I saw. We'll see if he can play or if he's limited. Um, they've got some other running backs there that appear to be okay. Um, Jesse Brown had 80 yards on nine carries against UNLV. Take that with a grain of salt, but then he got hurt. Um, And then you got Drake Anderson as well, who carried the load after that. So they're kind of in a weird running back spot. Their quarterback, uh, big things were kind of expected. Hunter Johnson transferred from Clemson, was a really highly regarded recruit. Um, Came in one sort of the the quarterback battle against TJ Green and I kind of put one in in air quotes um <laughs> because neither of them are very good against Stanford uh and then Hunter Johnson gets the start against UNLV and wasn't very good again the offensive line doesn't really block anybody they don't have any threats at the receiving position that you're really scared of and they're just in a world of hurt right now offensively uh they scored 7 points against Stanford They had 117 passing yards and 93 rushing yards for a grand total of whatever that is, uh, 220 total yards. That's not, or 210 total yards, excuse me. Um, That's not great. And they've got a good defense. They're, They're pretty well regarded there. Although I will say their number is dropping. Their ranking is dropping. They were third in SP+. Last week, and now they are 17th after their game with UNLV. Um, and from what I watched there, it might continue to drop a bit. They're 119th in SP plus offense, 17th in defense, 85th in special teams, which is good for 69th overall, which is not very nice. Um, yeah, they're just, I, I think Northwestern's going to struggle this year. Some people had them as kind of a dark horse pick in the West. I think one person even in the Big Ten media projected that they would win the conference. And unless something drastically changes for them, there's not a chance in hell. Um, The defense has Patty Fisher, right? We know all about him, linebacker, uh, all-conference type player, really good player. Um, They've got... Uh, Joe Gaziano on the defensive line as well. He's number 97. He had a couple tackles for a loss against UNLV. I think he got a sack as well. He's a good player. Like there's a couple good guys on the defense. They're kind of slow. Um, if I'm being honest, just judging by the UNLV and even Stanford game, um, Stanford doesn't really have any horses this year. They're not looking like they're going to be that great. I don't think, um, 
but you, you know there was almost noticeable like UNLV guys were kind of running by the Northwestern defense and structurally they're sound and they're disciplined they're smart they're they're kind of your typical Pat Fitzgerald team just a little less talent I think than than we're used to in previous years uh, and the quarterback play just has not been up to any sort of standard um, against Stanford Hunter Johnson who um, you know, again, the, the transfer from Clemson supposed to be the guy, supposed to be the answer. Went six of 17, not great. 55 yards, 3.2 yards per attempt, which is nightmarishly bad. Threw two interceptions and had a QBR of 4.2. And then he starts and plays the whole game against UNLV. Goes 12 of 25 for 165 yards, 6.6 yards per attempt. So a little better there, but not a great completion percentage. At all, one touchdown, one interception, QBR of 47.6. Uh, and just watching that game, he, he made some nice throws. There's some talent there. But he had some just A, terrible decisions uh, that led to interceptions, and B, really inaccurate passes. Um, some of it is the pressure, the offensive line for Northwestern. Uh, I saw Stanford getting pressure on them without having to blitz from all over the place. There were like three holding calls in the first three drives for Northwestern. Uh, left tackle got beat. A guard got beat for uh, on like a second and 22. And there's just, you know, it, it doesn't seem like a really great front right now. They, they run the ball decently well. Bowser had 5.4 yards per carry against Stanford. Uh, Drake Anderson, 5.4 yards per carry against UNLV. Jesse Brown, 8.8 yards per carry on nine attempts. Uh, Hunter Johnson will run it a little bit and is, is a good athlete. He's not like a dynamic runner, but he is someone who can run a little bit. So they do run it okay at times. Um, the UNLV <laughs> defense is not one to be feared. I think Stanford's pretty solid there, um, but it's, it's going to be a big mismatch, the Northwestern offensive line against the Michigan State defensive line, the front seven. It's going to be really hard for Northwestern to run. And the thing about them, like with a with Arizona State, they were like, yeah, we're not going to be able to run, so we're not even going to try it. Northwestern's going to try it. They'll do some of that quick passing game we know. Um, but again, Hunter Johnson is liable to miss some of those quick screens, quick outs. Um, I'm not sure you want him slinging the ball around. Northwestern would probably really like to slow the game down, take the air out of the ball, and run it a ton. I think that's going to be a really tough assignment for them, uh, and I think that plays right into uh, Michigan State's hands. Yeah, they gave up three sacks against Stanford here. I'm just rolling through the box score, and UNLV only got one, but it's not a great line in terms of pass protection, and you don't have to do blitzing, a ton of blitzing to get pressure on them. They're just not in a great place uh, offensively. Let's uh, put a plug in it right there. When we come back, we'll just sort of continue with this little primer here to uh, finish out the show. But first, a word from my bookie. Guys, if you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course, you're going to take the money. So why are you picking winners every weekend and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast. It's easy. And they pay when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. My bookie 
has every type of betting that you could want, all the lines, different player props and first half and parlays and whatever you want to do. You can do live betting. You can take the second half total if your bet's not looking so good or hedge on a different bet. Uh, you can do, like I said, parlays, you know, bet on three winners. You pick them all. You get way better odds. You bet 5 10 15 20 bucks, and you could turn that into $100 or more with a nice little parlay there. They've got it all at MyBookie. Join now. And my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code locked on to activate the offer. That is promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today. My bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And of course, got to tell you about Vivid Seats. The Spartans are on the road, but they will be back for homecoming on the 28th. And if you want to be there at Spartan Stadium after they beat Northwestern, revive the fan base, everyone's going to be excited again. You want to get to Spartan Stadium and watch them take on Indiana. You need to check out Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for the seats in the specific section or row of your choice, all in the easy-to-use Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows you, the fan, to earn credit back. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. Go to the App Store, Google Play, and download the Vivid Seats app. You'll automatically be enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater tickets and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today. Enter promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Promo code KICKOFF100 for a discount of up to $100. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. So the Northwestern offense is really struggling. Got some injuries. Don't have a great line. Struggling at quarterback. Don't have a ton of dynamic, don't have any dynamic playmakers on the outside that I could really see. Uh, They got a good tight end. That's about it. Um, That's, uh, that's not a major concern. I don't think it's a, it's a pretty tough product to watch on the other side of the ball, the defense where you know, Northwestern has relied upon for many years uh, under Pat Fitzgerald. They're always solid, fundamentals, smart, play good, solid team football on the defensive side. A lot of, you know, bend, don't break. You can get some yards on them, but it's tough to cash those into touchdowns and field goals. And that's probably just music to your ears, I imagine, after what happened against Arizona State. But I think they are ripe for big plays. They, they gave up a huge run to UNLV, and it wasn't even anything that was worthy of a big run. It was a backside zone run, um, and they just kind of kicked out the, the end, blocked down. Someone blocked the linebacker, and the running back just flew by the safety, had no shot. Uh, and so I think someone like Eli Collins is going to have a chance to find some space in this defense, and... He's shown the ability to make people miss. He's shown the ability to break tackles. Uh, and so is Anthony Williams Jr. If those guys are getting some good run here, I think the chance for a big play or two on the ground is certainly there. Uh, they don't blitz a lot. It's just, you know, they're running a four-man front. They run a 4-3. If you spread them out, they'll go 4-2. Uh, sometimes you can get even in truly empty sets. You can get no linebackers, just four down linemen. Uh, I saw them do that sometimes. And UNLV did that, had success with a QB draw, which we saw Michigan State do once against Arizona State, line up, go wide empty, and then run a QB draw off of it. You know, I think this is a much better matchup for Michigan State than Arizona State. Michigan State has struggled both times. They've played three down lineman teams, you know, 
Tulsa and Arizona State did things a lot differently. But what they do with three down linemen, uh, you know, Tulsa did a lot of basically run blitzing and Arizona State used a lot of uh, stand-up ends to basically create five-man fronts to go with their three down linemen, which is almost like a high school defense. But they use not typical ends. They're linebackers playing ends, so they're really fast and athletic. And that type of defense, both of those defenses uh, are kind of designed in a way to defeat inside zone. Um, and it, it's hard to run inside zone against those defenses because you have to double. And then based on player movement on the defense, you move into the second level as you're, if you're the center or guard or, or whatever, based on what the defense is kind of giving you. And it's tough to do that when, you know, you line up with five linemen, you can't double with your five linemen, you got to add a tight end, you got to add an H back, and that brings an extra defender into the box. It's just hard to spread a team like that out and then run in the middle because it's just not a good math game for you. And that's why Michigan State found some success in the passing game against Arizona State, but the run game didn't get going like it did against Western. This defense is going to look a little bit more like Western. They line up similarly structurally. Michigan State, I think if they're in 11 personnel a lot, they're going to see a lot of six-man boxes, and that's something that they can run zone on. They can run zone read on it. They can run the RPO stuff on it. Uh, I think we see a return to more tempo. They had a little tempo against Arizona State. Tempo, not temple. Little tempo against Arizona State. I think we see more tempo, and I think we see, like I said, just more room on the interior instead of you know, five linemen and five defensive linemen, like that's 10, 11, you bring a safety in 12 guys in the box area trying to run zone on that. It gets congested. It's harder to pick out lanes, but if it's four defensive linemen, you know, it's less people in the zone in the box there. You move a a lineman into the second level of the defense to block that's spreading it out even more. It just, it creates more lanes creates more space for a guy like Eli Collins to find room. And I think they'll, they'll be able to have success with inside zone, mid zone, wide zone, uh, the, the reads off of it, the, the run pass options off of it, the counters, all that stuff. I think it just, this matchup really suits the Michigan State offense a lot better than the Arizona State did. And they still move the ball relatively well against a really, really good Arizona State defense. This The Northwestern defense is not as good as Arizona State's. They're not nearly as aggressive. They're not even close to athletic. Um, you know, Patty Fisher's a good player, but I don't think he's Merlin Robertson. Um, they're just uh, not as good, frankly, as Arizona State. And I think when you have a defense that is not as good and is a better matchup, I think we can expect better things from Michigan State. The red zone's going to be tough for sure. That's something we'll get into more on tomorrow's show. But just from a base level, I think this game sets up pretty well for Michigan State to bounce back. Uh, Northwestern's offense shouldn't present many problems. I think it's going to be hard for them to score a couple of times. And like I was just saying, I think this matchup for the Michigan State offense, for the one that we've seen, right, the new offense, the offense that we've seen kind of really excel against Western, find some bright spots against Tulsa, find some bright spots against Arizona State, spread them out inside zone, quick passing game. They need to take more deep shots, but I think if they're able to just kind of run their stuff and execute pretty well, they will certainly be able to rack up yardage and sustain a few drives and get themselves into the end zone a handful of times. So we'll talk much more 
about Northwestern tomorrow. I'm still working on getting a guest. I'm hoping to have someone for tomorrow's show. We'll see. No promises there. If I don't, then we'll just do a straight preview. Me and you guys talking about Michigan State Northwestern. Um, but that's the that's the show tomorrow. We're going to dive into this, get even more into the nitty-gritty, how I think this thing's going to play out, key matchups to watch, some you know keys to the game. Everyone loves keys to the game. Uh, and all of that good stuff. So thanks so much for listening to today's Locked on Spartans. Reminder to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. Thanks to everyone who's subscribed. Thanks to everyone who's been reading my stuff over at Spartans Wire, spartanswire.usatoday.com. I will also have a piece up later today uh, analyzing the spread on this game, how it's moved. Uh, You know my thoughts on that, but I do want to talk a little bit more about some recent trends between these two and how this thing, uh, this spread could be indicating something interesting for this game. So all that stuff coming your way tomorrow, Friday, a lot of Northwestern content coming your way. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll see you then.